Hi, everyone. I miss you guys so much. I hope y'all are doing your very best to to get through this for your parents and for, for me and Miss Penny and that you're doing your very best to get all your work done and behaving and doing what your parents say and all of that. So, anyway, I started this little thing so that I can continue to read this book to you guys that we started reading before all this nonsense happened. We were reading Percy Jackson and the Olympians, book one, The Lightning Thief. So, um, I imagine it's kind of hard to remember what was going on in this book before all this happened. So, let's talk about it for a minute. Um, when we started off, we met Percy, and he was at this, at this old school. It was a, um, fancy school called Yancey Academy. He had his best friend Grover there who got picked on a lot. And, um, by this one girl especially whose name was Nancy Boba Fett, um, he didn't like her at all. Anyway, so while he was on a field trip with his favorite teacher, who was Mr. Brunner, he taught Latin, They he got attacked by his algebra teacher, Mrs. Dodds, who turned out to be a monster. So, Mr. Brunner, like, tosses him this pen that transforms into a sword, wicked cool, and he was able to vaporize his teacher or turn her into dust. Then he goes and he gets, um back to school and nobody remembers Mrs. Dodds. It's like she's been wiped off the, everyone else's memories, but his. He still remembers Mrs. Dodds and he's weirded out by everyone who doesn't remember her. So that's kind of interesting. And then um, he goes to school and everything's going pretty well. Um, and then he, he gets into another fight and um, he gets told that he's not going to be asked back to school. Um, so he's been expelled, which is really bad. Um, so he's pretty upset about that and he's going home and Grover, his best friend who gets picked on a lot, is going to ride with him back to the house where when he stops, he gets on this bus and he's riding home with Grover and he, Grover's acting weird and Percy can tell that Grover's acting weird and, um, he, he's getting to, to the point where he doesn't even trust Grover anymore because he feels like Grover is hiding something from him. Well, lo and behold, they stop at a fruit stand, and they see these three women who uh, we're going to call the Fates, and they're knitting something, and they cut this yarn, and Grover's just freaking out about it. Well, Percy's like, yeah, whatever, I don't, I don't even care, I'm just going to leave, and Grover's like, well, don't leave without me. Well, he did. He ditched Grover as soon as they got back to the bus terminal. So, anyway, he gets home, and he sees his mom. His mom's, like, this really nice, sweet person who's married to this awful guy named Gabe Ugliano, who plays a lot of poker and is a terrible person. Anyway, his mom's like, I'm going to take you to the beach. We're going to have fun at the beach. And so, she's like, oh, he's pretty excited about that. And so, they are heading to the beach and enjoying their time. And she's talking about... She's telling Percy about his dad, and he thinks that he's met his dad because he can kind of remember his dad, like, a vague memory of his dad. But then his mom's like, no, mm -mm, never met your dad, sorry, um, but I'm going to have to take you to this camp that your dad always wanted you to go to. And Percy's like, well, he shouldn't have a say because I have never met him. But his mom's like, I think you're going to have to. Well... They go to sleep. There's this terrible storm at the beach house. And they hear a knock at the door. And it's like, 
And who's there but Grover? Grover's at the door. So, then he's like, what's going on? And Grover's like, we've got to go now. They're coming for you. And they're like, what? Who's coming for me? Who's watching me? And, um, long story short, they take off running from some unknown threat. Something's coming to get them. They're taking off running. They're driving really fast. They get into a car wreck. And they take off running towards this camp that Percy doesn't even know what's about. Well, then they they find out who's chasing them, and it's the Minotaur. And you might remember us talking about the Minotaur because he's it's a man all the way from the neck down, but from the neck up he looks like a bull, you know, like cowboys riding a bull. So the Minotaur kills Percy's mom, knocks out Graver, and then Percy kills the Minotaur with his horn. It's pretty cool. Um, and they make it into camp. Well, when they get to camp, uh, he gets nursed back to health by this girl named Annabeth. And Percy finds out that he is a son of a god. Like a Greek god. Now, they're not the same. These are just pretend gods. They're not like the one that we worship and and praise. They're not like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But they are... Back before they knew about Jesus, they used to worship these things that they called gods that would help him explain how things happened, like the sun rising and stuff like that. But thankfully we know more now. Um, anyway, so he finds out that he's one of the sons of those Greek gods, but they don't know which one. So he's moving around his life and he's fine. You know, he's using these little secret powers that he has no idea about, but they have to do with water when they finally, like they're playing capture the flag and he falls into the water and then boom, sign, sign from his dad. Turns out he's the, son of Poseidon. Well, Poseidon is not supposed to have any children, so that causes a big ruckus. Lots more monsters try to kill Percy. Um, then they take, and then they find out that the lightning bolt, which is the king of the gods, is um, Zeus, his weapon of choice. The lightning bolt's gone missing, and Zeus thinks Percy stole it. Well, Percy didn't steal it. He wouldn't, he didn't even know about it, so it wasn't his fault. But Zeus doesn't believe that, so he's, he's out to get Percy, and so Percy and Grover and everybody thinks that the other big god, Hades, is behind it all. But probably, you know, who knows at this point. So Percy's on a quest. We've talked about a quest a lot. Now, a quest is like a very big journey that a character or a person has to go through in a, in a book or, or a poem or anything like that. So Percy goes on this large quest and there's always challenges or issues that you have to face on these quests. Now, some of the challenges that Percy's had to face so far were as following. Um, The first one he had to issue with um, the kindly ones, these monsters that showed up on the bus when they were trying to ride the bus out to LA to get to the lightning bolt. They had to fight those. Um, It blew up the bus and Percy got blamed for it. And then they they get on a train um, and they get off in St. Louis, and they do that really big arch. Do you guys remember me showing you the really big arch? Um, and he had to face that really crazy chimera, which, uh, looks like a lion and a, had a snake for a tail. Y'all might remember me talking about the snake tail. Anyway, he had to fight that, and he fell off the, the arch and into the, uh, lake or river. I think it was a river. And, um, that was a challenge. 
they fought Medusa. If you remember Medusa, she was the lady with the snake hair. Uh, we talked about her quite a bit. We did a worksheet on her. Um, so those are some of the challenges that he's had to face so far. Uh, right before we left, he was um, doing an errand for another god named Ares. Who, and he had to, to face that challenge as well where they went into this abandoned water park. And while they were there, they had a, a trap set for them by Hephaestus. Well... Anyway, that was terrible. They had to get out of this net thing, and lo and behold, Percy got out of it, thank goodness. So, uh, anyway, they stole some clothes out of the, um, they stole some clothes out of the, um, water park, and they left, and, um, then they were gonna go back and meet up with Aries after that. So, that's where we had left off. And, um, now we are heading back to talk to Aries, and that's where we're going to pick up today, is on chapter 16, we take a zebra to Vegas. The war god was waiting for us in the diner parking lot. Well, well, he said, you didn't get yourself killed. You knew it was a trap, I said. Aries gave me a wicked grin, but that crippled blacksmith was surprised when he netted a couple of stupid kids. You looked good on TV. I shoved his shield at him. You're a jerk. Annabeth and Grover caught their breath. Ares grabbed the shield and spun it in the air like a pizza dough. It changed form, melting into a bulletproof vest, and he slung it across his back. See that truck there? He pointed to an 18-wheeler parked across the street from the diner. That's your ride. Takes you straight to L.A. with one stop in Vegas. The 18-wheeler had a sign on the back, which I can read only because it was reverse-printed white on black, a good combination for dyslexia. Kindness International, Humane Zoo Transport, warning, live wild animals. I said, you're kidding. Aries snapped his fingers. The back door of the truck unlatched. Free ride west, punk. Stop complaining. And here's a little something for doing the job. He slung a blue nylon backpack off his his handlebars and tossed it to me. Inside were fresh clothes for all of us, 20 bucks in cash, a pouch full of golden drachmas, and a bag of double-stuffed Oreos. I said, I don't want your lousy. Thank you, Lord Ares, Grover interrupted, giving me his best red alert warning look. Thank you a lot. I gritted my teeth. It was probably a deadly insult to refuse something from a god, but I didn't want anything that Ares had touched. Reluctantly, I slung the backpack over my shoulder. I knew my anger was being caused by the war god's presence, but I was still itching to punch him on the nose. He reminded me of every bully I'd ever faced. Nancy Boba Fett, Clarice, Smelly Gabe, sarcastic teachers, every jerk who'd called me stupid in school or laughed at me when I'd gotten expelled. I looked back at the diner, which had only a couple of customers now. The waitress who'd served us dinner was watching nervously out the window like she was afraid Ares might hurt us. She dragged the fry cook out from the kitchen to see. She said something to him. He nodded, held up a little disposable camera, and snapped a picture of us. Great, I thought. We'll make the papers again tomorrow. I imagined the headline. Twelve-year-old outlaw beats up defenseless biker. You owe me one more thing, I told Ares, trying to keep my voice level. You promised me information about my mother. 
You sure you can handle the news? He kick-started his motorcycle. She is not dead. So, we learn right now that his mom's not actually dead. So, throughout this whole story, we've we've read um, and heard about Percy wanting to save his mother because he felt like she wasn't dead. But everybody else told her told him to just forget about her, that she was beyond his reach. Meaning that she had passed on and was in heaven or, or in their version of reality, the underworld. So, now Ares is telling Percy that, no, he's his mom's still alive. And so... I wonder, you have to think about, is that going to be yet another challenge in his quest? Is he going to fork, is he going to like forget getting the lightning bolt to try to save his mom? What do you think you would do? I know I would want to save my mom if I could. The ground seemed to spin beneath me. What do you mean? I mean, she was taken away from the Minotaur before she could die. She was turned into a shower of gold, right? That's metamorphosis. Not death. She's being kept. Kept? Why? You need to study war, punk. Hostages. You take somebody to control somebody else. Nobody's controlling me. Oh, yeah? See you around, kid. He laughed. I balled up my fist. You're pretty smug, Lord Ares, for a guy who runs from Cupid statues. Behind his glasses, fire glowed. I felt a hot wind in my hair. We'll meet again, Percy Jackson. Next time you're in a fight, watch your back. He revved his Harley and roared off down Delaney Street. Annabeth said, that was not smart, Percy. I don't care. You don't want a god as your enemy, especially not that god. Hey, guys, Grover said, I hate to interrupt, but... He pointed toward the diner. At the register, the last two customers were paying their check... Two men in identical black coveralls with a white logo on their backs that matched the one on the Kindness International truck. If we're taking the Zoo Express, we need to hurry. I didn't like it, but we had no better option. Besides, I'd seen enough of Denver. We ran across the street and climbed into the back of the big rig, closing the doors behind us. The first thing that hit me was the smell. It was like the world's biggest pan of kitty litter. The trailer was dark inside until I uncapped my sword. The blade cast a faint bronze light over every sad scene. Sitting in a row of filthy metal cages were three of the most pathetic zoo animals I'd ever beheld. A zebra, a male albino lion, and some weird antelope thing I didn't know the name for. Someone had thrown the lion a sack of turnips, which he obviously didn't want to eat. The zebra and the antelope had each gotten a styrofoam tray of hamburger meat. The zebra's mane was matted with chewing gum like somebody had been spinning on it in their spare time. The antelope had a stupid silver birthday balloon tied to one of his horns that read, Over the Hill. Apparently, nobody had wanted to get close enough to the lion to mess with him, but the poor thing was pacing around on soiled blankets in a space way too small for him, panting from the stuffy heat of the trailer. He had flies buzzing around his pink eyes, and his ribs showed through his white fur. This is kindness, Grover yelled. Humane zoo transport? He probably would have gone right back outside to beat up the truckers with his reed pipes, but and I would have helped him. But just then, the truck's engine roared to life, the trailer started shaking, and we were forced to sit down or fall down. We huddled in a corner on some mild, mild, mildweed fit. Mildweed? We'll go with it. Mildeweed feed stacks. 
trying to ignore the smell of the heat and the flies. Annabeth was in favor of breaking the cages and freeing the uh, animals on the spot, but I pointed out that it wouldn't do much good until the truck had stopped moving. Besides, I had a feeling we might look a lot better to the lion than those turnips. I found a water jug and refilled their bowls, then used my sword to drag the mismatched food out of their cages. I gave the meat to the lion and the turnips to the zebra and the antelope. Grover calmed the antelope down while Annabeth used her knife to cut the balloon off his horn. She wanted to cut the gum out of the zebra's mane too, but we decided that would be too risky with the truck bumping around. We told Grover to promise the animals we'd help them more in the morning, then we settled in for the night. Grover curled up on a turnip sack. Annabeth opened our bag of double-stuffed Oreos and nibbled on one half-heartedly. I tried to cheer myself up by concentrating on the fact that we were halfway to Los Angeles, halfway to our destination. It was only June 14th. The solstice wasn't until the 21st. We could make it in plenty of time. On the other hand, I had no idea what to expect next. The gods kept toying with me. At least at least Hephaestus had the de- decency to be honest about it. He'd put up cameras and advertised me as entertainment. But even when the cameras weren't rolling, I had a feeling my quest was being watched. I had, was a source of amusement for the gods. Hey, Annabeth said, I'm sorry for freaking out back at the water park, Percy. That's okay. It's just... Whew, Spiders, she shuddered. Because the arachne story, I guess. She got turned into a spider for challenging your mom into a weaving contest, right? Annabeth nodded. Arachne's children have been taking revenge on the children of Athena ever since. If there's a spider within a mile of me, it'll find me. I hate the creepy little things. Anyway, I owe you. We're a team, remember? Besides, Grover did the fancy flying. I thought he was asleep, but he mumbled from the corner. I was pretty amazing, wasn't I? Annabeth and I laughed. She pulled apart an Oreo and handed me half. In the iris message, did Luke really say nothing? I munched my cookie and thought about how to answer. The conversation via Rainbow had bothered me all evening. Luke said you and he go way back. He also said Grover wouldn't fail this time. Nobody would turn into a pine tree. In the dim bronze light of the sword blade, it was hard to read their expressions. Grover let out a mournful bay. I should have told you the truth from the beginning. I thought, if you knew what a failure I was, you wouldn't want me along. You were the satyr who tried to rescue Talia, daughter of Zeus. He nodded glumly. Now remember Talia and Annabeth and Luke, they were running away trying to get to camp way before all this happened. Um, Like five years ago. And they came up and um, some monsters tried to fight them. So Talia tried to save her friends by sacrificing herself. And then Zeus turned her into a pine tree that protects the camp. So in that kind of way that Grover was supposed to get them to to the camp safely. And he didn't do that. So he failed. And Percy was his second chance. And the other two half-bloods Talia befriended, the ones who got safely to camp... I looked at Annabeth. That was you and Luke, wasn't it? Like you said, Percy, a seven-year-old half-blood wouldn't have made it very far alone. Athena guided me towards help. Talia was 12. Luke was 14. They'd both run away from home like me. They were happy to take me with them. They were amazing monster fighters, even without training. We traveled north from Virginia without any real plans, fending off monsters for about two weeks before Grover found us. I was supposed to escort Talia to camp. 
he said, sniffling. Only Talia. I had strict orders from Shiren. Don't do anything that would slow down the rescue. We knew Hades was after her, see, but I couldn't just leave Luke and Annabeth by themselves. I thought, I thought if I could lead all three of them to safely. It was my fault the kindly ones caught up with us. I froze. I got scared on the way back to camp and took the wrong turns. If I'd just been a little quicker. Stop it. No one blames you. Talia didn't blame you either. She sacrificed herself to save us, he said miserably. Her death was my fault. The Council of the Cloven Elders said so. Because you wouldn't leave two other half-bloods behind? That's not fair, I said. Percy's right, Annabeth said. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for you, Grover. Neither would Luke. We don't care what the Council says. Grover kept sniffling in the dark. It's just my luck. I'm the lamest satyr ever, and I find the two most powerful half-bloods of the century, Talia and Percy. You're not lame, Annabeth insisted. You've got more courage than any satyr I've ever met. Name one other who would dare go to the underworld. I bet Percy is really glad you're here right now. She kicked me in the shin. Yeah, I said, which I would have done without the kick. It's not luck that you found Talia and me, Grover. You got the biggest heart of any satyr ever. You're a natural searcher. And that's why you're going to be the one who finds Pan. And Pan, if you guys remember, Pan was the god of the wild things, which is all satyrs want to find Pan. So that's why he's trying to make Grover feel better and say that he's going to be the one to find him. Because Pan went missing like thousands of years ago. Uh, Anyway, um, I waited for Grover to say something, but his breathing only got heavier. When the sound turned to snoring, I'd realize he'd fallen asleep. How does he do that? I marveled. I don't know, Annabeth said, but that was a really nice thing you told him. I meant it. We rode in silence for a few miles, bumping around on the feed sacks. The zebra munched a turnip. The lion licked the last of the hamburger meat off his lips and looked at me, hopefully. Annabeth rubbed her necklace like she was thinking deep, strategic thoughts. That pine tree bead, is it from your first year? Yeah. She said, every August, the counselors pick the most important event of the summer, and they paint it on that year's beads. I got Talia's pine tree, a Greek tyranny on fire, a centaur in a prom dress. Now that was a weird summer. And the college ring is your father's? That's none of your... <sighs> she stopped herself. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You don't have to tell me. No, it's okay. My dad sent it to me in a folded up letter two summers ago. The ring was, like, his main keepsake from Athena. He wouldn't have gotten through his doctoral program at Harvard without her. That's a long story. Anyway, he said he wanted me to have it. He apologized for being a jerk and said he loved me and missed me and he wanted me to come home and live with him. That doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, well, the problem was I believed him. I tried to go home for that school year, but my stepmom was the same as ever. She didn't want her kids put in danger by living with a freak. Monsters attacked, we argued. Monsters attacked, we argued. I didn't even make it through winter break. I called Shiren and came right back to Camp Half-Blood. You think you'll ever try living with your dad again? She wouldn't meet her eyes. Please, I'm not into self-inflicted pain. You shouldn't give up. You could write him a letter or something. Thanks for the advice, but my father made his choice about who he wants to live with. We passed another few miles in silence. So if the gods fight, will things line up at the way they did with the Trojan War? Will it be Athena versus Poseidon? She put her head back against the backpack that Ares had given us and closed her eyes. I don't know what my mom will do. 
I just know I will fight next to you. Why? Because you're my friend, seaweed brain. Any more stupid questions? I couldn't think of an answer for that. Fortunately, I didn't have to. Annabeth was asleep. I had trouble following her example with Grover snoring and an albino lion staring at me like he was hungry, but eventually I closed my eyes. My nightmare started out as something I dreamed a million times before. I was being forced to take a standardized test while wearing a straitjacket. All the other kids were going out to recess and the teacher kept saying, Come on, Percy, you're not stupid, are you? Pick up your pencil. Then the dream strayed from the usual. I looked over at the next desk and saw a girl sitting there also wearing a straitjacket. She was my age with unruly black punk style hair, dark eyeliner around her stormy green eyes, and freckles across her nose. Somehow I knew who she was. She was Talia, daughter of Zeus. She struggled against the straitjacket, glared at me in frustration, and snapped, Well, seaweed brain, one of us has to get out of here. She's right. My dream self thought, I'm going back to that cavern. I'm going to give Hades a piece of my mind. The straight jacket melted off me. I fell through the classroom floor. The teacher's voice changed until it was cold and evil, echoing from the depths of a great chasm. Percy Jackson, it said. Yes, the exchange went well, I see. I was back in the dark cavern, spirits of the dead drifting around me. Unseen in the pit, the monstrous thing was speaking, but this time it wasn't addressing me. The numbing power of his voice seemed directed somewhere else. And he suspects nothing, it asked. Another voice, one I almost recognized, answered at my shoulder. Nothing, my lord, he is as ignorant as the rest. I looked over, but no one was there. The speaker was invisible. Deception upon deception. The living thing in the pit mused aloud, excellent. Truly, my lord. Said the voice next to me, you are well named the crooked one. But was it really necessary? I could have brought you what I stole directly. You, the monster said in scorn, you have already shown your limits. You would would have failed me completely had I not intervened. But my lord, peace, little servant. Our six months have brought us much. Zeus's anger has grown. Poseidon has played his most desperate card. Now we shall use it against him. Shortly you shall have the reward you wish and your revenge as soon as both items are delivered into my hands. But wait, he is here. What? The invisible servant sounded tense. You summoned him, my lord? No. Blast his father's blood. He is too changeable, too unpredictable. The boy brought himself hither. Impossible. For a weakling such as you, perhaps. So... You wish to dream of your quest, young half-blood, then I will oblige. The scene changed. I was standing in a vast throne room with black marble walls and bronze floors. The empty, horrid throne was made from human bones fused together. Standing in front of the dais was my mother, frozen in shimmering golden light, her arms outstretched. I tried to step toward her, but my legs wouldn't move. I reached for her only to realize my hands were withering to bones. Grinning skeletons in Greek armor crowded around me, draping me with silk robes, wreathing my head with laurels that smoked with chimera poison, burning into my scalp. The evil voice began to laugh. Hail the conquering hero. I woke with a start. Rover was shaking my my shoulder. The truck stopped, he said, but we think they're coming to check on the animals. Hide, Annabeth hissed. 
She had it easy. She just had to put on her magic cap and disappear. Grover and I had to dive behind feed stacks and hope we looked like turnips. The trailer doors creaked open. Sunlight and heat poured in. Man, one of the truckers said, waving his hand in front of his ugly nose. I wish I hauled appliances. He climbed inside and poured some water from a jug into the animal's dishes. You hot, big boy? He asked the lion, then splashed the rest of the bucket right in the lion's face. The lion roared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lion said, next to me, under the turnip sacks, Grover tensed. For a peace-loving herbivore, he looked downright murderous. Now, remember, guys, that herbivore, we ha- we talked about this kind of at one point. Um, I might have talked about it last year now that I think about it. We haven't gotten to the animal unit yet this year. But an herbivore is some somebody or an animal that only eats plants. Kind of like a vegetarian, kind of like that. They don't eat any meat. They just eat grass and stuff like that. Uh, so, anyway, moving on. The trucker threw the antelope a squashed-looking Happy Meal bag and smirked at the zebra. How you doing, Stripes? Least we'll be getting rid of you this stop. You like magic shows? You're gonna love this one. They're gonna saw you in half. The zebra, wild-eyed with fear, looked straight at me. There was no sound, but clear as day I heard it say, Free me, Lord, please. I was too stunned to react. There was a loud knock, knock on the side of the trailer. The trucker inside with us yelled, What do you want, Eddie? Maurice? What'd you say? A voice outside, it must have been Eddie's, shouted back. What are you banging for? Knock, knock, knock. Outside, Eddie yelled, What's banging? Our guy Maurice rolled his eyes and went back outside, cursing at Eddie for being an idiot. A second later, Annabeth appeared next to me. She must have done the banging to get Maurice out of the trailer. This transport business can't be legal. No kidding. The lion says these guys are animal smugglers. That's right, the zebra's voice said in my mind. We've got to free them. He and Annabeth looked at me, waiting for my lead. I'd heard the zebra talk, but not the lion. Why? Maybe it was another learning disability. I can only understand zebras. And then I thought... Horses. What had Annabeth said about Poseidon creating horses? Was the zebra close enough to a horse? Was that why I could understand it? The zebra said, open my cage, Lord. Please, I'll be fine after that. Outside, Eddie and Maurice were still yelling at each other, but I knew they'd be coming inside to torment the animals again any minute. I grabbed Riptide, Riptide is his sword, and slashed the lock off the zebra's cage. The zebra burst out. It turned to me and bowed. Thank you, Lord. Grover held up his hands and said something to the zebra in goat talk, like a blessing. Just as Maurice was poking his head back inside to check out the noise, the zebra leaped over him and into the street. There was yelling and screaming and cars honking. We rushed to the doors of the trailer in time to see the zebra galloping down a wide boulevard lined with hotels and casinos and neon signs. We just released a zebra into Las Vegas. Maurice and Eddie ran after it, with a few policemen running after them shouting, Hey, you need a permit for that! Now would be a good time to leave, Annabeth said. The other animals first, Grover said. I cut the locks with my sword. Grover raised his hands and spoke the same goat blessing he'd used for the zebras. Good luck, I told the animals. The antelope and the lion burst out of their cages and went off together into the streets. Some tourists screamed. Most just backed off and took pictures, probably thinking it was some kind of stunt by one of the casinos. Will the animals be okay? 
I mean, the desert and all. Don't worry. I placed a satyr sanctuary on them. Meaning? Meaning they'll reach the wild safely. They'll find water, food, shade, whatever they need until they find a safe place to live. Why can't you place a blessing like that on us? I asked. It only works on wild animals, he said. So it would only affect Percy, Annabeth reasoned. Hey, I protest. Kidding, she said. Come on, let's get out of this filthy truck. We stumbled out into the desert afternoon. It was like 110 degrees easy, and we must have looked like deep-fried vagrants because everybody was too interested in the wild animals to pay us any attention. We passed the Monte Carlo and the MGM. We passed pyramids, a pirate ship, and the Statue of Liberty, which was a pretty small replica, but it still made me homesick. And we talked about the Statue of Liberty, guys, in social studies. Um, Remember, the Statue of Liberty was given to us by the French, um, and it is made out of copper. But it's that green color because once you mix, like, salt and a bunch of this stuff in the air, the copper turns green. Um, And so, remember, the the Statue of Lady Lady Liberty is um, an American symbol, and she stands for freedom and hope and peace. And, again, was a gift from the French. So they have a they have a small little copycat of of Lady Liberty in Vegas, which per- makes Percy homesick because he's from New York, which is where the Statue of Liberty is from. I wasn't sure what we were looking for. Maybe just a place to get out of the heat for a few minutes, find a sandwich and a glass of lemonade, make a new plan for getting west. We must have taken a wrong turn because we found ourselves at a dead end, standing in front of the Lotus Hotel and Casino. The entrance was a huge neon flower, the petals lighting up and blinking. No one was going in or out, but the glittering chrome doors were open, spilling out air conditioning that smelled like flowers. Lotus blossoms, maybe. I don't know. I had never smelled one, so I wasn't sure. The doorman smiled at us. Hey, kids. You look tired. You want to come in and sit down? I'd learned to be suspicious the last week or so. I figured anybody might be a monster or a god. You just couldn't tell. But this guy was normal. One look at him and I could see. Besides, I was so relieved to hear somebody who sounded sympathetic that I nodded and said we'd love to come in. Inside, we took one look around and Grover said, Whoa. The whole lobby was a giant game room. And I'm not talking about cheesy old Pac-Man games or slot machines. This was an indoor water slide snaking around the glass kind of game room. They had a glass elevator, which went straight up at least 40 floors. There was a climbing wall on one side of the building and an indoor bungee jumping bridge. There were virtual reality suits with working laser guns and hundreds of video games, each one the size of a widescreen TV. Basically, you name it, this place had it. There were a few other kids playing, but not that many. No waiting for any of the games. There were waitresses and snack bars all around serving every kind of food you can imagine. Hey, a bellhop said. At least, I guessed he was a bellhop. He wore a white and yellow Hawaiian shirt with Lotus Designs shorts and flip-flops. Welcome to the Lotus Casino. Here's your room key. Um, but I stammered. No, no, the bill's taken care of, he said laughing. No extra charges, no tips. Just go on up to the top floor, room 4001. If you need anything like extra bubbles for the hot tub or skeet targets for the shooting range or whatever, just call the front desk. Here at here are your Lotus cash cards. They work in the restaurants and on all the games and rides. He handed us each a green plastic credit card. 
I knew there must be some mistake. Obviously, he thought we were some millionaire's kids, but I took the card and said, How much is on here? His eyebrows knit together. What do you mean? I mean, how? when does it run out of cash? He laughed. Oh, you're making a joke. Hey, that's cool. Enjoy your stay. We took the elevator upstairs and checked out our room. It was a suite with three separate bedrooms and a bar stocked with candy, sodas, and chips. A hotline to room service. Fluffy towels and water beds with feather pillows. A big screen television with satellite and high-speed internet. The balcony had its own hot tub, and sure enough, there was a skeet shooting machine and a shotgun, so you could launch clay pigeons right out over the Las Vegas skyline and plug them with your gun. I didn't see how that could be legal, but I thought it was pretty cool. The view over the strip and the desert was amazing. I doubted that we'd ever find time to look at the view with a room like this. Oh my goodness, Annabeth said. This place is sweet, Grover said. Absolutely sweet. There were clothes in the closet, and they fit me. I frowned, thinking that that was a little strange. I threw Aries's backpack into the trash can. We wouldn't be needing that. When we left, I could just charge some more clothes into the card at the hotel store. I took a shower, which felt awesome after a week of grimy ta- travel. I changed clothes, ate a bag of chips, drank three Cokes, and came out feeling better than I had in a long time. In the back of my mind, some small problem kept nagging me. I'd had a dream or something. I needed to talk to my friends, but I was sure it could wait. I came out of the bedroom and found that Annabeth and Grover had also showered and changed clothes. Grover was eating potato chips to his heart's content, while Annabeth cranked up the National Geographic channel. All those stations, and you turn on National Geographic. Are you insane? It's interesting. I feel good. Grover said, I love this place. Without his even realizing it, the wings sprouted out of his shoes and lifted him a foot off the ground and then back down again. So what now? Annabeth asked. Sleep? Grover and I looked at each other and grinned. We both held up our green plastic lotus cast cards. Time to play, I said. I couldn't remember the last time I'd had so much fun. I came from a relatively poor family. Our idea of a splurge was eating out at Burger King and renting a movie. A five-star Vegas hotel? Forget it. I bungee jumped the lobby five or six times, did the water slide, snowboarded the artificial ski slope, played virtual reality laser tag, and FBR sharpshooter. I saw Grover a few times going from game to game. He really liked the reverse hunter thing where the deer go out and shoot the rednecks. I saw Annabeth playing trivia games and other Brainiac stuff. They had this huge 3D sim game where you could build your own city and you could actually see the holographic buildings rise on the display board. I didn't think much of it, but Annabeth loved it. I'm not sure when I first realized something was wrong. Probably it was when I noticed the guy standing next to me at the VR sharpshooters. He was about 13, I guess, but his clothes were weird. I thought he was some Elvis impersonator son. He wore bell-bottom jeans and a red t-shirt with black piping, and his hair was permed and gelled like a New Jersey girl's on homecoming night. We played a game of sharpshooters together, and he said, Groovy, man. Been here two weeks, and the games keep getting better and better. Groovy? Later, while we were talking, I said something was sick, and he looked at me kind of startled as if he'd never heard the word used that way before. 
He said his name was Darren. Hey, we have a Darren. But as soon as I started asking him questions, he got bored with me and started to go back to the computer screen. Hey, Darren. What? What year is it? In the game? No, in real life. He had to think about it. 1977. No. I said, getting a little scared, really. Hey, man, bad vibes. I got a game happening. After that, he totally ignored me. I started talking to people, and I found it wasn't easy. They were glued to the TV screen or the video game or their food or whatever. I found a guy who told me it was 1985. Another guy told me it was 1993. They all claimed they hadn't been here very long, a few days, a few weeks at most. They didn't really know, and they didn't care. Then it occurred to me, how long had I been there? It seemed like only a couple of hours, but was it? I tried to remember why we were here. We were going to Los Angeles. We were supposed to find the entrance to the underworld. My mother. For a scary second, I had trouble remembering her name. Sally. Sally Jackson. I had to stop her. I had to stop Hades from causing World War III. I found Annabeth still building her city. Come on. I told her we gotta get out of here. No response. I shook her. Annabeth? She looked up annoyed. What? We need to leave. Leave? What are you talking about? I've just got the towers. This place is a trap. She didn't respond until I shook her again. What? Listen, the underworld, our quest. Oh, come on, Percy, just a few more minutes. Annabeth, there are people here from 1977. Kids who have never aged. You check in and you stay forever. So? She asked, can you imagine a better place? I grabbed her wrist and yanked her away from the game. Hey! I made her look directly into my eyes. I said, spiders. Large, hairy spiders. That got her. Her vision cleared. Oh my God. How long have we... I don't know, but we gotta find Grover. We went searching and found him still playing virtual deer hunter. Grover! We shouted. He said, die, human, die, silly, polluting, nasty person. Grover. He turned the plastic gun on me and started clicking as if I were another image on the screen. I looked at Annabeth, and together we took Grover by the arms and dragged him away. His flying shoes uh, sprung to life and started tugging his legs in the other direction as he shouted, No, I just got to a new level, no. The Lotus Bellhop hurried up to us. Well, now, are you ready for your platinum cards? We're leaving. I told him, such a shame, he said, and I got the feeling that he really meant it, that we were breaking his heart if we went. We just added an entire new floor full of games for Platinum Card members. He held out the cards, and I wanted one. I knew that if I took one, I'd never leave. I'd stay here, happy forever, playing games forever, and soon I'd forget my mom, my quest, maybe even my own name. I'd be playing virtual rifleman with groovy Disco Darren forever. Grover reached for the card, but Annabeth yanked back his arm and said, No thanks. We walked towards the door, and as we did, the smell of the food and the sounds of the game seemed to get more and more inviting. I thought about our room upstairs. We could just stay the night, sleep in a real bed for once. Then we burst through the doors of the Lotus Casino and ran down the sidewalk. It felt like afternoon, about the same time of the day that we'd gone into the casino, but something was wrong. The weather had completely changed. It was stormy, with heat lightning flashing out into the desert. Ares' backpack was slung over my shoulder, which was weird because I was sure I'd thrown it into the trash can. But at the moment, I had other problems to worry about. 
I ran to the nearest newspaper stand and read the year first. Thank the gods it was the same year it had been when we went in. And then I noticed the date. June 20th. We had been in the Lotus Casino for five days. And we only had one day left until the summer solstice. One day to complete our quest. That's where we're going to stop for today. Um, thank you guys for, for joining me on this. Um, I thought uh, it was a really good chapter. And I will be back tomorrow to, to read the next one. And tomorrow's chapter is chapter 17. We shop for waterbeds, which sounds pretty fun. <laughs>